following program contains explicit language and subject matter and is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Hello? It has to start sometime. What better place than here? What better time than now? Soldiers, 
Don't fight for slavery. Fight for liberty. In the 17th chapter of St. Luke, it is written, the kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you. You, the people, have the power. The power to create machines. The power to create happiness. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Then in the name of democracy, let us use that power. Let us all unite. Let us fight for a new world, a decent world that will give men a chance to work, that will give youth a future and old age a security. By the promise of these things, brutes have risen to power, but they lie. They do not fulfill that promise. They never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. Now let us fight to fulfill that promise. Let us fight to free the world, to do away with national barriers, to do away with greed, with hate and intolerance. Let us fight for a world of reason. A world where science and progress will lead to all men's happiness. Soldiers, in the name of democracy, let us all unite! Time is love. That's what everyone's asking. Hey, there was a bit of a uh, reality check just to shake things out. If you want to listen to that speech again at the start, check out the um, the Great Dictator movie by Charlie Chaplin, written and directed by Charlie Chaplin. That was written eighty years ago, and yet if you listen to it, it's so relevant about what's going on in the world today. So this is episode fifty-one. It's the cynical episode. Now, why I call it that is a bit of a gag within itself, but the world is pretty cynical in the current form. So let's uh, kick this off and let's get talking about what's current and what's going on and what's, what I've been up to. Episode 51. 
We've had a bit of a break in between. Well, firstly, to get to 50 and now to get to 51. So let me bring you up to speed about where I've been and what's been going on. It'll make sense. I've actually um, torn my meniscus in my right knee, which has kept me out of action and, and uh, yeah, sort of fucked me up a bit. I'm a bit incapacitated at the moment, which is a pain in the ass. But anyway, we'll get there. It's not the end of the world and it's, it's not life-threatening by any means of what's going on in the world. So that's what sort of slowed me up. CTs, MRIs, and I'm waiting to see a surgeon, blah, blah, blah. Regular shit that everyone goes through that does it. Um, yeah, regular injury, I guess, for knees when you suffer. Uh, I think it's just on my youth. Shit that I did in my youth that's come back to bite me in the ass. But anyway, that's, um, that's where I've been. What else can I tell you? Okay, cynical episode. Now, this is a lot to do with... I guess how the current world's playing out and what's going on and, and how we're, we're um, just slaves to what happens in the world. And, and it's, it can be quite fucking painful. So I say that I don't do politics, but I'm sort of going to get into it because I have a few things. Um, an American election, which has no direct outcome on how I live but uh, obviously many of my friends and many people that I know that live in the US it is Um, and there's a few things that we need to sort of adjust, understand how it works. So firstly I'm going to say just to give you an idea when we talk about size, anyone that's outside of uh, Australia, um, we live a pretty, I wouldn't say sheltered but um, what's primarily a um, uh, segregated, I would say. That's probably the best way to put it. Because we're so far away, we're on an island in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, okay. So I normally do this with no edits, no cuts. I'm just going to let you know. There was clearly a part where I wasn't there. So I just did an edit. Um, not an edit, just a cut. I um, Yeah, so basically we're so far away. That's That's the relationship I tried to get across as to... Um, where Australia is. So America's um, decision makers and everything that goes on is not directly linked to us yet. The outfall is is they play a huge part on what happens to us in the future because we're allies with them and our government sucks up to their ass and that's just the way it is. So we think that we're not directly affected by it but we actually are. So here's some things when we talk about cynicism because I know I'm going to get on to Trump because he just blows my mind that people even vote for him. But you have to vote for someone if you choose to vote. And that's a crazy thing. In Australia we have to vote. In America you don't have to vote. You can choose to vote. And such a massive population, how do you manage it? So just to put it in perspective, if you look at Europe on on a map and you look at the size of America... Obviously, America is a bigger place. Yet, 50 states in America, 52 countries in Europe. So there's 52 different decision makers that buy into each of their country's needs and, and what they want. In America, you've got 50 states and you vote for one guy who I don't think leads the country well. He talks a lot of shit. He's a sexist. He's an old pig in so many ways. And yet that's the best option you've got. There's 360 million people in America. 
360. You just envisage that. Australia's got 26. That's what we deal with. And, and you know, love or hate our Prime Minister in times of drama that are going on, he's, he does his best as anyone can. He doesn't say he's the best. He cops a lot of criticism, as all politicians do. But he does speak from the heart. I'm not his biggest fan by any means, but I do believe that he's doing the best that he can. He doesn't come out to a press conference and say, I am, I am fixing this. I am the man. I'm the one. And that's what Trump does. So I just wanted to point out in perspective, when you look at Europe, 52 different countries, this is what makes up the bulk of Europe basically. It's 52 different leaders with experience in politics prior to becoming their leader of the country versus one Democratic, you know, voted in um, president of the USA. They call it the United States of America. For me, it's the fractured states of America. There's no way that 50 states all agree with what's going on. And each state has to actually fight to get some sort of recognition. And if they're not within his party, well, they just fall to the back of the pack. And, like, and then that's, that's standard for politics. But in the time of what's going on with this rotten fucking virus, if that is what's going on, we're led to believe that he's the man. Now, I'll just give you some different stats of what, 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 what we're sort of looking at. To put. And this is where I really want people just to think outside the box and think about this in, in consideration. The Australian Prime Minister's name is Scott Morrison. For those who aren't aware, outside of Australia and probably inside of Australia, he's 52 years old. Jacinda Ardern, New Zealand Prime Minister, 40. Now, that's our closest ally and, and very much a, you know, someone we're close to overall. Justin Trudeau from Canada, Prime Minister of Canada. I think they call him a Prime Minister. He's 48. Boris Johnson, who is quite a crazy style of a leader for Great Britain or England or whatever you want to call it, is 56 years old. We get a little bit older here. Prime Minister of Sweden, 63. Um, the South African Prime, uh, Prime Minister, I think he's a Prime Minister again, and President, might be President. Madamala Rambabosa, how's that for the first time? 57. So 50, tipping out to 60 is pretty standard. Then you've got Sanamaran from Finland, the Prime Minister, who's 34 years old and, and very well liked within her country. The Ukraine President, 44. Emmanuel Macron, Emmanuel Macron, sorry, 42 from France. I've seen that like there's a pattern. Anywhere between, you know, the, where the people are that are thinking, that are changing. The current, the current catalyst for people that are going to make change and, and think in this sensible mindset of what's going on are anywhere between 40 and, and sort of 69, 65 is probably, and, and that's, that's the peak of your working age. What's considered in, in the business world particularly is, is peak is management generally comes between the ages of 40 and, and 65, obviously 65 heading around retirement age. Pedro Sanchez from Spain, 48. So that's what we, that's the sort of each of those countries. Now each of those countries have smaller populations than the US, which is understandable in different land mass sizes. But within that 50 two countries of Europe, 
and they had the Australians. So look at 60 and, you know, surrounding. I think there's a Vietnamese, I think he's about 69, the Vietnamese Prime Minister. But that's what you're looking at. Now, I want to, if you think of someone that you know in a management position or someone that's in a, a high position and that's making the world change and um, really pushing forward to, to, um, to make changes in the world that are positive and, and actually give the world directive, you would say, they're going to be between 40 and 65. I'm just going to give you an idea now what America is going to be voting for next month. Next month, I think it's, it might be November. Donald Trump currently 74 years old. His opposition, Joe Biden, who I think is probably a very nice man, 77. If that's not on the back foot before starting to go anywhere, for most of you that are listening to this or hearing this, that's your grandparents' age. That's a that's a, a person that's that's generally lived a good life and they're going heading into retirement. And they're not always the sharpest tool in the shed. They're forgetful. Fuck, I know. At my age, I get I, I pride myself on my memory, and I realise now sometimes I just got to write shit down because it works. And America is queuing up to vote for us. Either you get the choice, seventy four or seventy seven. Now, the way their system operates is that. You have to serve your three years, that's their term, and you can only serve two terms. So the likely outcome is that Donald Trump will be voted in. That's what the, the polls are stating. And he will retire as, as second um, uh, fuck, second term as, as president of the US at 77 years old. Joe Biden, if he was, and I doubt it hugely, but if he was to be voted in, Joe Biden would be – actually could stand again, but he would be 80 years of age after his first term. Now, we often get overshadowed with all the other shit and the things that they talk about, but when we I strip things back and I like to take things back to the most basic and, and easiest mentality, do you really believe that a man that's 77 or 75 years of age is going to be making the right decisions, is going to be someone that should be leading the country. I'm well aware there's a whole lot of other politicians and they've got advisors and everything that work with them. I'm not oblivious to that fact. I'm, I'm not naive. But the figurehead and the person that leads your country during these times, instead of getting up there and talking shit, so we're going to have the best vaccines, we're going to have the best, yep, that's what we're going to have, we're going to have the best vaccines, yep, I'm going to build a wall, that's what I'm going to do, I'm going to build a wall. In truth, there is nothing positive that comes out of that man. He literally talks shit. And I can't believe that he's going to get voted in again. So if you're an American and you hear this, I just really want you to actually understand it. Just think for two seconds and go, do I really need a pensioner to be voted in? You know, you don't have a choice now. You've you got the choice of 70, 74 or 77. That's it. You're fucked, right? But you, if you want to initiate change, you have to make some serious changes. you got to remember, before Trump was voted in, he had no political agenda or background previously. He hadn't spent any time in Congress. He was 
someone that had built buildings and was on a TV show and owned a Miss World pageant and believed that the way that he could speak and treat women, because he was famous, he could get whatever he wanted. He stepped out of that and stepped into the presidency and caused a huge divide within the country. Make America Great Again supporters versus the people that think for themselves. On top of what's going on with Black Lives Matter, do you really think in his first term he has done anything to help people bridge that gap between black and white, to help people trust the police, to re-educate the police in order to, you don't need to shoot fucking people. You know, that, that behaviour in Australia just wouldn't stand. There's, we'd have a fucking revolution. That's exactly what would happen. And, and the, again, it comes back to gun culture and I'm not going to criticise your gun culture. That's your rules, that's what you grew up with, that's what you know. I grew up in a country that, yeah, we don't need guns, you know, think we can get by without them. And there's a different mentality. So, again, I don't want to criticise other countries' gun laws because that's what you've grown up with. That's what's in place. But if you want to make changes, you have to stand with the smallest person in the room with the biggest voice. And if they say, man, we need to change, we've got to stop voting pensioners in. You know, you talk about land of the free and yet you're voting fucking pensioners in to run the country. It to me, it's the craziest thing. It is, it, honestly, it's take away conspiracy theories, take away, you know, people's thoughts on 9-11, moon landing, any of that. Just break it down to its most basic form. Do you really believe that a pensioner should be running the country and setting it up for the future? Because ideally, that's what we're doing. The leader of the country runs it and supports it and looks after it for a period of time in order to make the country better and put it into a better place for the next generation and the next generation. You know, the the leaders of tomorrow are coming out of my children's age group. I accept that and I look forward to it. I look forward to children, you know, being educated in the form that they want to participate and they want to be part, not just ride along for the fame. Fucking get an Instagram account. Actually, that's another issue. We'll get into that later. But on a political sense, again, it doesn't affect me directly. I just get the fallout when we, when we, you know, are told by America, well, you're our ally, you've got to do this. But just stop and look at the, the craziness of what's going on in the world and how these old men, and on top of, let's, and let's get into the cynical part of it. This is a guy at 74 years of age, wears fake tan, before he goes anywhere, like, and it's not a good fake tan. He's never looked brown. He looks orange. He looks like a fucking oompa We all know this. And somehow we accept it. Oh, that's Donald Trump. His hair is beyond a joke. People don't even make jokes about his hair anymore because it's just ridiculous. Now, I'm not breaking down a personal attack on someone by a couple of facets of, you know, what's going on with their, their look. But if you're going to lead by example, fucking look the part, you know. If you're going to step into the limelight and, and 
to take control of your country. And not only that, meet with other world leaders and look like a fucking joke. How, how would you expect to take him seriously? I, I honestly don't understand that people take him seriously. I don't, I don't get it. I, I haven't listened to what he says for such a long period of time because I find it's just him IMing. He's a narcissistic, absolute crazy. You want to see what, you know, what a narcissist is. That's he, he's a perfect example. So the cynical side is he doesn't know when to walk away. He doesn't know when enough's enough. He doesn't know that he's out of his depth. After a first term, he should have said, well, you know what? It's obvious that I'm not cutting it and walk away. Now, I'll give you an example. I, again, this is an Australian politician. And in his time, and I'll, uh, I'll bring up his time frame. Okay, so the um, Prime Minister in question is um, Sir Robert Menzies. Obviously, Robert Menzies at the time. And he was officially Australia's 12th Prime Minister. So you've got to remember, we never had an official parliament until 1901. And he was our 12th. He's also known as one of the longest serving. Um, Prime Ministers. He came in during wartime um, through a death of, of the current Prime Minister and then he took control. Anyway, there was a lot of few issues. He was very well loved by the people and well supported for a long time. And as, as Australia grew out of the Second World War, oh, sorry, I might make mention that um, in 1939 was when he came into power. So it is a long time before my time actually it was a long time before my parents time but this is just to give you an idea of thought processes that took place and that sometimes the thinking around politics is already there we just need to bring it in so he served two terms he was um ousted and then he and he was voted back in again and i believe um I don't believe actually, so I'm not going to say it, but it was to do with different party leaders. He's not in a, a party. I don't know his party history. He's not a party that I sort of follow. Regardless of that, leading towards an election at the age of 71, he fronted his party. Now, how it works in Australia, if you decide to retire from politics and yet you know, an election's not in sight, um, there's a, a vote cast within the party room and they, the party in power currently, they reselect who the Prime Minister is going to be. Then when he, his, obviously his seat will then go to a by-election, but the, you know, the premise of it is they re-vote. He spoke to his party in, in privacy and said, this is what I'm going to do, and then he spoke to the people. Now, you've got to remember the time Australia had came out of the Second World War, was rebuilding had huge immigration and the, and the country in the 60s, 50s and 60s was really starting to, to make inroads. You know, it was going from a small country town to major cities and, and, and in, in Australia's timeline. But he realised that he was going to be quite into his 70s. He's 71 at the time that this came about in 1965 and he fronted the people of Australia and said, while I appreciate my support as Prime Minister, I'm currently 71. Going in the next election, when it was coming up, would be that it'll be around 72, 73, and then on to 75 because it's a four-year term, a three-year term at that time. 
he said that he would be stepping down as Prime Minister for those reasons and thought that it was best to be handled by someone coming through the party at the time. Now, that is just a bit of sensible politics. I'm not saying that he rewrote the book or whatever he did, but he realised at 70, his time, 71 he was, my time is, I need to pull out, I need to give it to a younger person who happened to be his Deputy Prime Minister, Harold Holt, who at the time I believe was, actually, how old was he at the time? Oh, in his 50s. Now, the crazy part about Harold Holt was he went fishing, he went swimming on a day when you clearly shouldn't have been swimming and he never returned. He wasn't in office for very long at all. Actually, he was, um, he came in at January, he was the 17th Prime Minister. Okay, longer than I thought. January, 26th of January, 1966, and um, presumed missing on uh, 17th December 1967. So it wasn't a big stint for him. But that's just an example. I know I'm just wrapping on a lot of shit with dates and stuff, but I want to give you the – break it down to the, pers- the, the the strongest form. There's a person that realised that, okay, I'm fucking 71. We need to continue on our reign and we think that we're doing good things. The country was really – it was our the baby boomers phase – Everything was growing. Houses were cheap. Land was cheap. It was just a a booming era. Wages weren't anything fantastic, but the fact of the matter was the country was growing. That's a sensibility that is not afforded now in politics today. Leaders don't want to walk away from the limelight. They... They can't adjust and realise that their time is up. Donald Trump is out of his league. This current virus thing, I don't know that any world politician has got it right. I've put Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand, but I mean she's dealing with four and a half million people as a total. It's a bit different. Then if you need leadership, you need to put people in that have come through the pipeline in being political animals, have been long-term party members, have a love of the country. They're not looking for limelight and that's clearly what Donald Trump was doing. So that's my two cents on I – I didn't want to get locked into politics. I just can't watch it anymore. It just – it sickens me that there's going to come an election and I believe that Trump will shit in. I don't, I, I don't make any qualms about it. I remember Jim Jeffries doing a, a piece about – called it was about Donald Trump it was a, it was an hour that he wrote about Trump and he said to people yeah you know what wouldn't it be funny if he got in because at the time it was a joke no, he won't get in he won't get in and the fact was he did now if that's not scary I don't know what is that's what we're looking at doing again except this time he's now 74 years old he's 70 he was 70 when he came in what really does he have to offer at 74 years old, I um, I truly don't know. Anyway, let's have a short break and come back with something different.
And that's why I generally don't get involved in it. I just, um, but it's fucking crazy. It's, it truly is. It's, um, yeah. Fuck this shit, I'm out. Mm-mm. Yeah, it's pretty much how I feel about it too. All right, so let's change it up. Cynicism. All right. COVID, how's it affecting you? How you been? I've had one test, negative. feel good about that. Um, prior to my ailment, my injury, um, yeah, I, I don't know what to expect. I don't know enough about it. I know that people are hugely upset about it and there's some people out there that are taking action and going on protest. I applaud the right to protest. I think I live in a country where it's you're able to do it. I think we're becoming a bit of a police state. I live in New South Wales. We haven't got it so bad. Victoria, on the other hand, south of New South Wales, is having a real terrible time. The issue I have with COVID is that I don't know enough about it and I don't believe there's enough correct information out there telling you about what it is effects are and how we get it. I mean, I don't understand how this thing is still spreading and spreading and spreading. Literally, it's almost 12 months went from first cases that were picked up in China. I'm not buying the bat. I'm not buying the pangolin. I don't, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what, why this is occurring. I don't know why we haven't come up with a vaccine. Um, is it political? Is it uh, pharmaceutical bound that the pharmaceutical companies are going to benefit from it? There's a whole lot of things. I always come back to anything that takes place in the world and anything who benefits, particularly if you listen to murder podcasts or unsolved murder podcasts, whatever it is, you listen to things like that and you listen to people talk about, you know, who could be, who had motive to kill someone or... I always come back to who benefits. Nothing in this world takes place without someone benefiting from it. Benefiting? Yeah, benefiting from it. So who's going to benefit from the virus? Now, people say it's pharmaceutical companies. I'm not going to buy into that right this second. What I'm going to understand is the whole world's in a really shit situation. And I'll give you an example. I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but I've got a friend who I've spoken to on the podcast before. And um, she lives in Phoenix and she got sent home from work, I think March, I want to say March. And originally it was, this is only going to be a short time, and her business, her company that she works for, um, and and if I get her on the podcast in, in future weeks we can talk to her, but her company took great steps. They sent them home, then they said, listen, we're going to come and get your stuff. You're going to need to work from home. And she's been working from home since March. I believe they aimed at September to get people back. Now they're talking about January. Now, what the fuck is going on when you can't... Like, if you look at the rates of COVID that's going on in the US and the amount of people that are dying and how readily it spreads, Tell me how this is happening because I, I can't get my head around it. So that's where I am with COVID. That's where I'm, I'm not. I can't buy into the ins and outs. I'll probably do a future episode where I'll try and engage an expert that can tell me more about it because there's a lot of things that I don't understand about. It. But everything we've got in this world, 
This is a virus that primarily is killing older people, not younger people. It, it doesn't, it's not, you know, picky because there is quite fit people anywhere from their 20s to their 40s that have contracted and hadn't have died. So I, I don't say that lightly, but the, the majority is older people. Why is there a vaccine? Why are we encouraged to wear masks? Why? I've never known masks in any way to stop the spread of, of disease. They use it in high-risk areas in, inside hospitals because they don't want to contract it, and I, want, and, I, and I totally get that. If this disease was such a major threat, like that we have to wear masks, why is it then when they take a sample they have to stick something so far up so so far up our fucking nose or down the back of your throat to get a sample. Wouldn't you just cough on a piece of paper and go, here you go, just wipe it off that? That would make sense if it was such an easy thing to contract. But no, 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 we're going to push this thing right up your nose into the back of your brain and just annoy you enough that you're going to sneeze in the person's face that's doing it. That's what happened to me. And I apologise. She said, no, that's all right. Everyone does it. I'm thinking, yeah, okay. Is it there? I don't know. So this this is a dilemma I have and I'm highly cynical about what is going on with COVID, what is going on with the people that are testing. I, I believe that, you know, the medical industry, hats off to them because they're living in, a, in an area of the world that no one really wants to be in. Let's be honest. Nursing staff are just take your fucking hats off to them, doctors, nurses. You know, they've been doing this now since really full on since January. And here we are now in September and we still, everyone says every week, oh, we look like we're going to have a cure. The latest one I heard was that, well, it's going to be injection-free um, vaccine that, that's going to be available, okay? But no one's telling me what the breakdown of this virus is. No one's explained to me. There's no evidence that says this is how it's created, this is what's happened, this is how you spread it. It's all just a lot of hearsay and that's the part that frightens me. That's the part that really pisses me off is because we're just expected to have some sort of understanding and um, I, I really I really don't get it. I don't understand what... What this is, and if you if you hold information back from people, people will rebel. This is how revolutions occur. I'm not a revolutions expert. I studied it at school, and there's so much of me that understands a revolution because I'm a rule breaker. But if you try to contain people that live a normal life outside of the realms of what's going on in lockdown for such a long period of time and not give him the right information, people are going to get fucking wild and they're going to get upset. So this is where we're at. Do you wear a mask? Do you not wear a mask? It's pro-choice. It's up to you. I, I don't think that a government can tell you what you can and can't do in, in what you wear. They're doing it with borders. We're getting border lockdowns. But... Instead of giving us threats, instead of driving an agenda, give us answers. Give us an explanation. Tell us what it is. Tell us why it constantly is mutating or it's spreading. How is it in some states of Australia with smaller populations, they've crushed it and they don't have it anymore, versus 
the ongoing um, mess that's going on in Victoria. I, every single day I wake up and I get the news and it says, oh, there's 20 more cases of it in Victoria and 18 deaths. Are those deaths directly related to COVID? Because there's a lot of old people that died and that will probably die of other other causes at the time. So instead of saying they're all COVID-related, say, oh, no, no, these were old age or these were pneumonia or these were... Not everything's COVID-related. And stop threatening the people. Stop having people live with this, this horrible thing over the top of their head. Here's the facts. If you can't get your head around it and if you can't control it and you can't get on top of it, then we have to learn to live with it. And then we have to learn to change the rules in life to move forward. Instead of living with this threat of, well, you've got to keep doing this or you've got to be locked in. Like Victorians are locked in at different times. There are, I, don't know, I don't know what their times are. So for me to say anything now would just be talking shit. But they've got curfews in, in the state of Victoria and Australia. Instead of saying that, let's go, all right, we haven't got a handle on it. We're not getting any better at it. How are we going to learn to live with it because the world needs to move on? Instead of trying to lock people down, it's just fucking doing my head in. So there we go. There's politics. There's COVID. I don't know the answers to either one. I do know that Donald Trump's an old fuck and he should retire. I know that. But what are we going to do about COVID? I don't know. Cynicism, this is my favourite. As you have listened to any of my previous podcasts, you'll know that I'm a big reality TV fan. And I've really lost my way with it at the moment because I'm, I was encouraged to watch A Bachelor in Paradise by someone. I won't say I didn't enjoy it. I just found it monotonous. And I don't think that I'm necessarily better than anyone else or not better, but... I think intelligence level-wise, I find I, I don't suffer fools. I find idiots frustrating. And um, funny enough, the idiots on Bachelor in Paradise made me realise that, thank fuck, I'm not living in that world. Um, the truth is that television exploits, reality TV exploits people for ratings. That's what it's all about. The more that... Um, the more that people that get on board with things, the higher the value of the of, of the production gets, the the bigger range of people that want to be involved. And if the thought that you're going to become an Instagram fan or an Instagram um, celebrity, are they called celebrities? They shouldn't be called celebrities. Social media influencer, that's another one they use. Whatever they think. If, if you're going to go on to a reality TV show, because that's your promise at the end of it, then kudos to you if it works. I think it's getting a bit old now. The truth of the matter is when you come off it, your relevancy starts to drop all the time and that um, you do Instagram ads for HelloFresh or um, bright teeth, like a white teeth whitening, uh, maybe makeup, some of them. 
Oh, OnlyFans, that's the next thing. If you're not getting deals from that, I know that the horrible Haley the Bogan from Married at First Sight has just got an OnlyFans account. <sighs> OnlyFans is huge. This is what's going on in the world. And that's time for another podcast with a, um, a psychologist I'm going to talk to, Annie. He's going to come back and talk to me about different things in that. But if reality TV is your boost and that's where you're going to start, then let's have a look at an old format, particularly when we're being cynical because I can get away with this. And that's the block. I'm going to save The Bachelor for another time because I'm really not getting my head around it. I like the dude. I like The Bachelor because he was from um, Survivor. I mean, I'm a huge Survivor fan and Lockie's been on it twice and I dig that. We'll come back to that. There's more to come on that to be continued. But I really want to talk about the cynicism involved with The Block. The Block 2020 is a uh, it's a period season with houses from 1910s through to 1950s. It's five houses. And they've bought a, an extravagant property in Brighton, in Victoria, where it's probably the toughest place to live at the moment. And for anyone who's not seen The Block, it's a renovation show that appeared on Channel 9 since 2003. And the idea behind the production team was to find a rundown or ruined building or apartments to start off with apartments and have couples work in teams to renovate the building with a budget, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we're all done. It's now been running for 17 years. I couldn't actually believe it's been gone that long. Actually, one of the guys that was on the very first one, I went to my school, which was quite ironic. Anyway, so after all these years, we're seeing the same, same. It's just the same thing. The Channel 9 is the guys that run the production, and they literally used to be the biggest and the most popular I suppose they're the catalyst for Australian television. Now, for anyone else listening around the world, Australian TV has three commercial stations and two Australian-run production, ABC and SBS, which are run by a country and no advertising. The three commercial stations are 7, 9 and 10. And that's the way it's been since television came to Australia. I think it was 1959. Nine's always been the catalyst. They've been the driver. And what they do if they get it right... They flog it to death. If something's they're not sure about, meh, not sure, they'll cut it right at the very start. No, we don't like it. It's not doing what we wanted to do. Now, the block on the other hand has been a cash cow. I'm not going to get into the ins and outs of it because there's a lot of people listening going, yeah, yeah, the block, blah, blah, blah. Okay. But they literally have the whole they, – they put the money up for the land. They have – the construction um, generally is paid for. Everything that goes into it is, is done by sponsors, so that's paid for. And then at the auction at the end, they cover their costs, what they believe that the, the, each of the properties cost them, and then on top of that, the contestants win. And some people have won $30,000, which is considered a bad season, right through to I think one of them, one of the couples the most won $750,000 which basically sets them up for their own mortgage. And that's what it is. So they work in teams, in couples, gay men, gay women, husband and wife as the norm, two brothers, two mates. Uh, the latest ones are father and son, a uh, father and daughter. I think that's been pretty well, you know. So they claim, here's, here's the cynical side of it, of the program. 
And this is what I really wanted to get to because this is a cynical episode. I'm allowed to be as cynical as I want. The truth is I can do whatever the fuck I want. But I can be cynical about this. And here's the cynical part. There's three judges. They've been judges for the last 12 years. And they judge each of these rooms on as they've been completed. And they also happens to be the world's nastiest, pretentious and self-involved threesome that Australia's ever seen. They claim to be experts in the field and yet they're not even acknowledged by their peers as experts. Now I know people, these people are recognised as interior design experts. That's what the whole brief is. So these judges work together to praise people what they like in a very small way. But there's a backhanded slap that they give every time. Um, and and they, they always look to chastise and demean people on the show and just leave them with some nasty and hurtful comments. And I, you've got to understand, most of these people that get involved aren't renovators. And, and that's the idea. You don't get seasoned renovators. There's been a couple um, in previous shows that they've done it before and they're, they're on the verge of nervous breakdowns. But generally the people that don't do it, they're not renovators. So these people talk to them like, well, we're telling you what you should be doing and you should do it to our standard. But we're not going to give you guidelines. We're just going to demean you on, on television. Again, if you put your hat in the ring for this, you've got to cop it because you know what you're going to get. So remember, the contestants from the show aren't seasoned renovators, right? And they would be better off with a positive feedback and ideas rather than being criticised like naughty children because literally that's what they're doing. For me personally, I would have told them to get fucked on more occasions. But, I mean, each season I look at points where I go, yeah, would have told them to get fucked there, 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 there. That's just me. Um, but I'm not willing to go on TV and be publicly humiliated for TV ratings on a program. That's just not me at all. Now, having said that, let me tell you about the judges. In the same cynical format they use to judge others on the program, now they have a style about them. And the way that they walk in, they love using the words glamorous, high-end, uh, gorgeous. It's, it's, it's what the – if you were spending a million dollars, this is what you expect. Their expectations are pretentious prats. Now I know there's part of society that, that breeds that and they love that. And they need to be told by others, oh, yes, darling, it's beautiful. But the reality is majority of Australians that watch the show aren't living in the top 10 percentile of income earners that believe that, you know, everything's got to be luxury, everything's got to be tie-end. It's not the case. Not everyone can afford that. In a program like this, they get a budget. So a bedroom, they get a budget of 19000 Bathroom, they get a budget of 24000 whatever it is. That's pretty healthy, you know, Australian dollars comparing what you've got to do, but it's not – you're not walking in – with an, you know, managing director's wage and saying, I'll just throw 100000 at that bathroom get it fixed. It doesn't work. So these guys, I'm going to judge them on how they are on the show in the, in the same mythology that they use to judge them. So Neil Whittaker. Firstly now, he looks like the old, it looks like a bad guy called the Hood from the Thunderbirds. I don't know if you've ever seen that guy with a bald head from the Thunderbirds. It's a baddie. That's what he looks like. With, with these new glasses. They give him new glasses each episode, each season to say, well, this is what the current trend is. He's a 50-year-old gay man. Now, there's not anything wrong with that. I'm not, I'm not pointing out I'm not homophobic. I don't have any sexist issues. I'm just pointing out that 
This is a guy that apparently is an expert in everything to do with interior design. Um, that claims to be an interior designer, who in fact is actually the editor of Bell magazine. And his whole career has been about publishing in the UK and Australia. So he's allegedly an interior design expert, yet he's actually never worked in the field of interior design. He publishes a magazine, he signs off, he's the editor-in-chief, whatever the fuck they want to call him. Neil style changes every year to coincide with the show and what they're deciding to project that season. So, in fact, he's not original, nor is he an influence as he claims to be. Neil, in fact, gets his driving inspiration from other trends and styles and he readily admits that he gets his influences from life. He, I'll quote this. I'm a bit of a bowel bird. In other words, he's a typical journalist fleecing other people's work to ensure that he looks like he knows what he's talking about. I know several interior designers and then they've made their mark in different, in, on their industry in different buildings in Sydney over the last 20 years and none of them recognise this old bald man as anything more than a TV host that's getting paid crazy amount of money. So, unfortunately, Neil, I've got to say, you need to listen a bit more, mate. That's one of his favourite lines. Darren Palmer, okay, he's the youngest of the three. Neat and tidy gay man. Uh, has been focused on fitness and is everyone's men and women's dream. Yet they can't have him because he's married. Now I've got to tell you, this guy is a good-looking rooster. He is what, what everyone personifies as a 2020 gay man. Fit, healthy, good-looking. He readily admits that he's got a whole lot of chemicals that he puts on his face on a day-to-day basis. I find it very hard to criticise Darren because he's not a bad man on the show and seems like a good guy. He, again, is actually a qualified interior designer. He does have his own business. But on the cynical side, I'm going to tell you, his profile was being created by sponsors and great product placement. So from this, he's tied in Carpet Court, Mopo, Audi Australia, LG Signature, GJ Gardner Homes, and he has a great website that gives you interior design tutorials, which is good. He's given back. But basically, for someone that's an expert, he has just been created and owned by the product people that are associated with the block. They own his ass. He's tied in with them. His profile's risen because of the show. And I would suggest the, the crazy amount of money that he gets paid to be on it offsets anything that he does in interior design. Now, the final one, Shana Blaze, if that is your real name, which I'm not entirely sure. The so-called professional interior designer, writer, TV star, that's how she describes herself, and the show that she's introduced as an expert, really, holds a diploma in interior design and drafting from the Melbourne College of Decoration. That's many, many years ago. I don't know that... If anyone listens to this that's an interior designer, I think that their university degree that they spent time on is far more of a qualification than a diploma in interior design from a college. But anyway, she's a 57-year-old woman that literally looks like old mutton done up as lamb. Now, I'm not going to judge people on, on saggy skin on their face or wrinkles or lines. I mean, she's got them. You've got to accept your age. 
just let it go. You know, don't be trying to wear something that the young kid should be wearing because you look like shit. And she does. She honestly, I know that's a harsh thing to say, but she does look like shit. So anyway, um, yeah, so I would never attack on the fact that a marriage broke down and that's true. This all happens to all of us. Um, and it must have been heartbreaking, although, you know, for someone that was so heartbreaking, she seemed to really enjoy talking to all the trashy tabloids at the time in order to cash in on the fact that that divorce means money to Shana. And I think she made, she sold her story to every fucking tabloid that was interested. So again, Shana, if that is your real name, how much did you make from talking about your your, uh, your divorce? Because that seemed to be the cash cow that you're more involved in. A lot of people push it under the carpet and make sure, hey, it's private, we're dealing with it, that's the way it is. She's not doing that. So you might be saying to yourself, okay, Mac, what's your point? The fact that these three judges lay judgment on these contestants of the show using nasty demeaning insults in order to explain that they are experts when in fact they're not recognised as leaders in their own field. These three people are are on contract and created to the block and on huge wages for being on television. And the network has created their profile. The broadcasts of these judge, judges are experts where in fact this has all been created by the show. They are the ones that have created someone's with the power of television, with the power of repetition, with the power of putting someone on television and putting up some credentials behind them. They have created these people to believe we, for us to believe that they're experts. Now, I believe that the show, and this is the cynical side, the reason that the show has done this, in fact they created in order to show that the program is credible as an interior designer in order to draw in the advertisers and float the project. And in that way, they're flogging this cash cow for everything it's worth. In other words, get so-called experts in. Draw all the sponsors in that want to be associated with them. People will watch it. The block will bring punters and the advertisers and then they marry the two together and they make money and that's what it's all about. Here's the cynical side. It's not about good content. It's not about programming. They create drama. They fuck up the house and they create drama all the time. Throw in inciting some drama and issues along the way and punters come to watch. We want to see the car crash television. We need... A week of shit and people being persecuted and people being ridiculed and unfortunately people's parents passing away, which is sad, or grandparents. And then what we want to do is all get together on Sunday and see this beautiful house and go, oh, didn't they do a remarkable job? It's crazy. So that's what the premise of it is. These experts aren't experts. Here's a tip on watching the show. Don't bother watching the weekly stuff. Don't even worry about it. Just watch a revealing episode. And if you're you know, like anything like me, don't watch it live. Watch it now and now. You can stream wherever you want. Walk away when the ads are on. But the fact is, this is an example of television station just flogging something to death in order to to gain monetary funding from sponsors, from advertisers. You might come as an advertiser one season and then you get a phone call, hey, you notice you've been spending money on advertising. Would you like to be a sponsor? The latest one is A1, A2 Milk. What the fuck has A2 Milk got to do with building a house? But they're on there. I mean, any time that 
they go to them, hey, A2 Milk's just going to tip in and they're going to help us out and they're going to pay for this and they're going to pay for that. And I'm thinking, that's called fucking extortion, surely. I'm not saying don't watch it if you like it. Then go nuts. What I'm saying is be aware that this is a cynicism that goes on. This is what's in front of us. This is a content that's put on our TV, so-called reality TV. And we just cop it over and over and over. If that's not cynical enough, I don't know what is. So we're pretty much at the end of where we're at. It's a long, drawn-out part, isn't it? Okay. <clears throat> this comes out on um, a special day in so many ways. I haven't got my head around it. I just want to put this out there, though. It's International Day of Peace. And I sort of held it back. Mm, it's going to be Monday in an hour's time. But for most people, we'll get it either the 20th or 21st of September, which is International Peace Day. And Peace Direct is calling it Peace Day. I just want to recognise that because I don't believe in anything but peace and I think that we're all going through some really tough shit at the moment. So if you choose to get involved or you choose not to, check out Peace Police. No, PeaceDirect.org is a website that encourages peace. It is... uh, obviously a worldwide initiative and the current situation, what's going on around the world, is, is crazy. I don't can't get a handle on it. I can take the piss out of it, but I can't get a handle on it. So just keep in the back of your mind for all the cynical shit that I've said and that I talk about, I have a genuine care of people and a genuine love of people. And um, enjoy International Day of Peace. I hope that um, this finds you well and that um, we'll be back. I will have a new episode next week. I'm going back to weekly. I'm on top of it other than I've got to get an off, but operations are in and out within a day, so I'm all good. I uh, thank you for listening. I thank you for following. I thank you for hanging in there. I'm sorry I've been a bit distant. Shit's been going down. Again, I'm trying to tee up interviews and get people in for interviews. And, of course, during this current time, it's really hard to to get people on the same schedule. And So please be aware, I've got a really interesting couple of chats coming up. I've just got to lock them down. And until then, we'll talk to you next week. Have a great week. Enjoy International Day of Peace. Until next time. This has been the Zero Fucks Podcast, presented, created and produced by me, K-Mac. You can find me on all social media platforms as Gorilla Radio or at gorillaradio.com.au. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life, that there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there, like a splinter in your mind. Are you ready? Let me tell you something about house music. 
Thank you, Randy. Goodbye. Bye now. Goodbye. Fucking Chinese.